This is about a boy. Of course. I can't believe I didn't see it. All this talk about money and bus rides. You got a thing going with a guy and you don't want to leave school. I'm going to bed. God, I'm so dense. That should have been my first thought. After all, you're me. I'm not you. Really? Someone willing to throw important life experiences out the window to be with a guy? It sounds like me to me. Whatever. So who is he? There's no guy. Dark hair, romantic eyes, looks a little dangerous. This conversation is over. Tattoos are good too. I don't want to change schools because of all the reasons I've already told you a thousand times. If you don't want to believe me, that's fine. Good night. Does he have a motorcycle? Because if you're going to throw your life away, he better have a motorcycle. Company. I'm Brent. And I'm Drew. This month, our guest is a fellow Doctor Who podcaster who explores an exact moment in Doctor Who history that resonates with his weekly guest. Currently hosting the second season of The Moment, Tom Dickinson joins us on Who and Company. Tom tells us how he got involved in podcasting and how his uniquely edited show came about. Then Tom takes us on a journey through Stars Hollow, Connecticut as we discover his pick of the month, Gilmore Girls. You'll learn why he loves this show, how it's held up through the years, and a bit about the Netflix revival in 2016. So grab your books and cowboy boots, because we're headed to our first day at Chilton. And that's coming up right after this. What are you doing, Mom? I'm trying to find the candlesticks I bought you. What candlesticks? The Baccarat candlesticks I bought you last year for Christmas. I assumed you stuffed them in the back of the closet somewhere. Uh, well, no, I did not stuff them in the back of the closet. Well, then where are they? I don't see them out. Well, see, we didn't actually have a big use for the crystal candlesticks, so I kind of exchanged them. For what? A monkey lamp. Pardon me? It's a lamp with a bunch of monkeys on it. Baccarat crystal candlesticks for a monkey lamp. They're really, really happy monkeys, Mom. Where is this lamp? I want to see it. It's right there on the desk. Oh my God, they're holding coconuts and leering. It's funny. You traded my lovely gift for a semi-pornographic leering monkey lamp? How could you? This is not just about the bad breeding of returning a gift. This goes to the very heart of the question of taste. You were given something of substance and you cast it off for a ridiculous, slightly sinister barroom decoration? Explain this to me, Lorelei. My back hurts. Our guest this month is a podcaster, retired vlogger, a novice web developer, and is also good at dance parties. Just in case he doesn't mention it at the end of the interview when we give him a chance to toot his own horn, you need to check out his YouTube video essay entitled Time Can Be Rewritten. You can also hear him interviewing guests in his own show, Doctor Who The Moment. Tom Dickinson, welcome to Who and Company. Thanks for having me. Tom, The Moment is halfway through its second season. Coming up with an original concept for a Doctor Who podcast is getting more and more difficult these days. How did you come up with the idea for The Moment? Yeah, that's that's actually, um, I don't know if my story there is all that um, narratively satisfying because I came up with the name of the show and then backed into the concept based on the name. <laughs> um, yeah, well I was on the plane on the way home from the Gallifrey One convention in Los Angeles back to my home in Rhode Island um, in 2018, which was the first year I'd gone to that convention. And um, I don't know, based on, you know, all my friends and acquaintances there seem to have podcasts of their own. I have been kind of wanting to have a podcast. And then while I was on the plane, I thought of, oh, you know, the moment would be a cool name for a Doctor Who podcast. And I didn't have Wi-Fi on the plane, so I wasn't able to check if there was already a podcast by that name, because there are hundreds of Doctor Who podcasts. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, so I was just there kind of imagining what the podcast would be. um, And I kind of vaguely decided the you know what the general theme of the show would be in that kind of plane ride and then the second I landed I pulled up my phone and said all right is there a podcast by this name already and it turns out there was an interview show by Brian Koppelman called The Moment but that has nothing to do with Doctor Who so I felt like I was good. 
Well, that's really cool. What uh, what kind of drew you, aside from the fact that your social circle had podcasts, what kind of drew you to the medium of podcasting? Well, I, I, um, I first got into podcasts as a listener around the same time I was first getting into Doctor Who, both of which were in 2006 or 2007. Um, I think it was early 2007 with Doctor Who, maybe a little earlier than that with podcasts. But um, yeah, at that point, um, I was a freshman in college, and um, those were two things I was getting into. And then I eventually sought out uh, the intersection of them, and uh, I found things like um, you know Doctor Who Podshock, which was a fairly big one at the time, Radio Free Scarrow, and there were um, you know a few other shows at the time. Um, uh, you know, that was around the time when a lot of Doctor Who podcasts ended up starting in the year or two after that, um, including some that, that are still going to this day, like um, Two Minute Time Lord, I believe, was around that time. Uh, but yeah, so I um, that was kind of what originally interested me in doing a Doctor Who podcast. But I've done, I've done um, podcasts. I actually had a previous Doctor Who podcast called The Cloister Room, which was... Um, uh, a very different sort of show. It was mostly just a two two guys talking about Doctor Who with no particular format or or conceit. Um, and I've also uh, been a part of the uh, a podcast called The Chapter Titles Were So Good, which was a Harry mm-hmm. Potter podcast um, where uh, that we did that for a few years. It was a chapter by chapter reread of the of the Harry Potter books for um, about about four years and change because there's I think two hundred chapters in that series. Cool. So would you read read the chapters and then discuss it? The chapter, or you're not actually reading the chapters over the podcast. No, no, it was a, um, it was just more of a discussion, and um, that that show is, you know, it's very different in tone and style from the moment, but um, the uh, the work that we did on that show, especially my friend uh, Peter, who edited every episode of that show, um, he did some really incredible work editing that and making it a really interesting listening experience. And to the extent that the moment is an interesting listening experience, which, <laughs> I don't know, I toot my own horn that it kind of is, um, it's very much me trying to kind of live up to a standard that I felt like he set on that project that I was working on. So even though um, Peter has... I, w- I want to say he's never watched an episode of Doctor Who. I think he's watched one episode of Doctor Who, and it was the Rebel Flesh, which is not a good one to watch <laughs> if that's your only one that you're going to watch. But um, yeah, so uh, he is uh, in some ways the founder of the feast in that regard, I guess. Nice. When you're looking for podcasts, or when you 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 mean with so many Doctor Who podcasts to listen to, what is it about the podcast you decide to kind of stick with? Um, was it a particular format? Was it individuals? Was it the ideas they're putting forth? Uh, we've had a lot of podcasters on here, and I don't think we've actually discussed what it was that draws us to a podcast. We've talked about what draws to us to Doctor Who, but not the podcast themselves. Was there one format versus the <laughs> other that you enjoyed? You know, it wasn't really a question of format. It's uh, It's really personality and... I mean, I guess there are kind of three things. Personality is one. The quality of the content is another. And like the quality of the, I guess, craftsmanship, you could say. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, like I like the I like the Radio Free Scarrow guys. And so I listen to their show. Um, there are a lot of other shows that are somewhat like it. Um, but there are very few shows that have, you know, guys that are that smart and that interesting and that knowledgeable talking about Doctor Who. Um, and I, I wouldn't say that's like a highly crafted show. Maybe it's maybe it is in ways that I'm not perceiving as an audience member. But um, and then on the other hand, another one of my favorite shows is Reality Bomb, uh, put together by um, uh, Graham Burke and Joy Piedmont, um, which is a very heavily crafted product kind of in the vein of um, uh, this American lifestyle magazine program. That's, it's, it's very much a, a, a production more than it is just, uh, some folks chatting into a microphone. Um, Certainly. not that there's really anything wrong with some folks chatting in the microphone. I mean, uh, that's, that's, that's totally awesome when, when the folks are, are interesting to listen to. So mm-hmm. there, there are a number of different things that, that can attract me to a podcast, but I don't have the hours in the day to listen to all the podcasts that I'd like to listen to. Like there are so many podcasts that in a, um, in a perfect world would easily make the cut because they're just so great. I just don't have time to listen to as many as I'd like to. Certainly. Yeah, I, I, I get that. I get that completely. 
Well, as the editor of this show and uh, and my other shows, I just wanted to say how impressed I was at the level of editing and mixing in all this clips <laughs> into your broadcast. Because you, you can tell you really put a lot of time and effort into your podcast. It really shows there. Yeah, thanks. Um, um, obviously, you use clips from the moment that your guest chooses, but you also throw in other clips that are also related to, you know, something somebody says or different subjects that come up. How difficult is it to find those clips? Hmm. Do you just happen to remember which quote comes from which story? Uh, yeah, that I'd say it's a, it's a little bit difficult. It's made so much easier. Um, and if you're if you're doing any kind of Doctor Who related writing or reference project or anything that requires you to have quick access to the dialogue from the show and its exact wording, um, there's such a great resource out there. I think it's called Tr- Chrissy's Transcript Site. Um, it's at uh, chakotea.net uh, that's c-h-a-k-o-t-e-y-a dot net um, and they have full transcripts of every single episode of Doctor Who oh. so you still have to um, know what episode uh, what story you want to look for but oftentimes I will have something like I just need a clip of Donna saying something sassy so I'll just open up <laughs> all of the uh, transcripts for um all of series four of of modern Doctor Who, and then Control F Donna, and then go to town. And the moment could not exist in its current form if not for that site. And uh, for that reason, uh, I have um, I, I made a I made a PayPal donation to to the person who runs that site after I finished the first season, and I'm sure I'm going to do another one after the second season because the work they're doing is um, thankless. But it's 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 not only has it. Um, not only has it uh, really made me made it possible for me to make the moment, it has also uh, helped me win a bunch of tedious arguments on Reddit. <laughs> and isn't isn't that what it's all about? Exactly, exactly. Well, let's talk about Doctor Who uh, for a moment. You had mentioned that you started watching Doctor Who in college, but what was it that got you watching it in the first place, and what compelled you to keep watching? So uh, it was interesting because I I kind of realized that I was probably going to become obsessed with Doctor Who before I even watched a single frame of it, um, because I was a massive devotee of the works of Douglas Adams, and I still am. And around, um, around like, I want to say around 2004, 2005-ish, that was a time when that interest was kind of reaching its peak, because even though, sadly... Uh, Adams had passed away by that point. That was kind of a renaissance for work based on his work, the uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy movie, which is I don't I don't love that movie, but I, I'm a fan of some of the creative choices in it. Um, that was coming out around that time. There were radio adaptations of the Hitchhiker's Guide um, books that had not originated as radio plays, as well as the Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency. Um, Books had been adapted into radio plays at that time. So um, I was very much in uh, Douglas Adams' fever at that point, and I actually <laughs> read a couple of biographies of Adams, one of which was written by Neil Gaiman. Um, and they focused a lot on his own work, obviously, but you know, I kept seeing references to this thing that I only really vaguely knew what it was, which was um, Doctor Who. The fact that he had um, a... You know, worked on the show, written scripts for it, and script edited it for uh, for the show, as well as the fact that um, a couple of his books, most notably Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency and Life, the Universe, and Everything, were um, repurposed from uh, ideas that had been um, either from Doctor Who scripts that had never been produced or had been partially produced but not broadcasted in the case of Shada or in the case of uh, Dirk Gently, it even borrows from City of Death, which was produced, but he said, yeah, I'll just recycle that anyway (laughs) into Dirk Gently. Um, But yeah, so because of that, I was vaguely aware of Doctor Who, and I was starting to hear um, rumbles uh, about the new series and how much people were really, really into it, which is sometimes kind of a surprising thing for a show that comes back after a long time, to hear uh, a a reaction that is not primarily one of grumpiness, but one of like people being enthused about its return. And so I kind of um, decided intentionally that 
oh, I have to be a Doctor Who fan, don't I? Um, because <laughs> of uh, because of the general impression that I had gotten from my tangential relationship with it through the Douglas Adams fandom. Uh, and at that point, I uh, made a conscious decision to dive right in to Christopher Eccleston and also William Hartnell and also Tom Baker. Like, so I tried to um, kind of embrace it all at once, which... Uh, was an interesting experience, but I, uh, I remember that first year, uh, I did, um, I did what most, uh, what most freshmen in college tend to do, which is I stayed in my dorm room knitting a Doctor Who scarf. <laughs> oh, very cool. Awesome. Um, have you since pulled a, a pilgrimage and gone through and watched it from beginning to, to current? I have, I did end up doing that, um, in anticipation of the 50th anniversary. Yeah. So I made a decision a couple of years beforehand that I was going to watch them all in time for the 50th anniversary, uh, which means I saw every episode of Doctor Who that was extant at that time. Um, since uh, since I watched the Troughton era, um, some further um, episodes have come back. So I actually haven't yet seen... Um, what are the ones I haven't seen? I haven't seen the recovered episode of The Underwater Menace, and I haven't seen... Um, the entirety enemy of the world. I actually did end up watching the enemy of the world because, uh, cause I love that story so much and I was so excited to see it, but I didn't end up watching the web of fear. Um, so I still have those, uh, to watch if, and when, uh, the time comes and I haven't seen some of the more recent animated projects either. I'm maybe saving those for a second pilgrimage. I may do one day. That's cool. Yeah. I, I think my pilgrimage came before a lot of that was discovered so there's a there's quite a few like i have access to the macro terra i still haven't watched it yet it's you know we have frequently have guests on who are, are kind of like saving episodes because they don't want that they don't want to be able to say that like they've seen everything they still want to have you know wait to be surprised and i i, I kind of like that as well um tom i turned 42 this year and mm-hmm. my wife threw me an entirely douglas adams themed um 42nd birthday party complete with nice <laughs> just everything and I, I, I participate in Towel Day every year, <laughs> um, so I, I highly commend your love of dear departed Douglas. Um, I, want, I sometimes wonder what he would have thought of the new series. Um, I do also sometimes wonder whether they would have been able to convince him to write for it. Um, I know he, isn't a, he wasn't a very uh, deadline-oriented fellow, so... There may have been difficulty there, but uh, I would have loved to have him on Twitter saying uh, quippy one-liners about um, about Doctor Who and about everything. I, I have often thought that he would be one of the best tweeters if, if he had lived during the Twitter era. <laughs> I, I absolutely agree, and sometimes yeah. I get sad. Uh, I'll watch Doctor Who and go, you know, it's just a shame, because you'll, you'll frequently, especially when like Neil Gaiman produced the, the or wrote those two episodes, or, well... You know, wrote, I'm in quotations, wrote those two episodes, um, I, st- I still would be like, what What would a Douglas Adams modern Doctor Who? And you could probably have, you know, asked him in Eccleston's era, and he might have had something ready by Capaldi. Mm. So. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have a favorite Doctor? Yeah, I think I've pretty firmly settled on uh, Peter Capaldi being my favorite Doctor, mm-hmm. um, which is interesting to me because I, I kind of, I was not a fan of him um during the first part of series eight, I was excited by his casting because I had liked him in a couple of other things I had seen him in. Um, I felt that some of the comedy bits in, uh, in deep breath did not land for me, which really soured me on him at first. But I think by around, um, by around listen, he had, he had kind of won me over. And then by the end of that series, he had become my favorite doctor and Clara had become my favorite companion. And they still hold that title to this day. Why is that, do you think? Um, I think the reason I, I will usually give is because, I mean, part of it is because I think they're both phenomenal actors who are doing really interesting things with the characters. But one of the things that I love about the dynamic between the two of them is that neither one of them is always right. Um, in fact, neither one of them is even necessarily ever right. There's no... Um, like you'll sometimes get with uh with especially in like the Russell T Davies era I'm thinking mostly with like the the 10th doctor and Donna where um the doctor will go a little too far and Donna's there to kind of be the moral authority and rein him back in whereas in um the 12th doctor and Clara's uh adventures neither one of them ever really gets to be the moral authority and 
what what constitutes moral authority in the story is the result of a conversation between them. Um, and I think that's something that uh, Moffat was doing pretty deliberately and leaned into really heavily in the notion of the two of them as being a hybrid and how um, what what actually uh, was happening there was a greater a, a, a whole that was greater than the sum of its parts was resulting from the dynamic between the two of them uh, and that 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 really kind of becomes more obvious than ever in uh, in Hellbent which is one of my favorite Doctor Who stories um, and I think that's one of the reasons why I love those two characters so much. Um, it, seeing them spark off one another and seeing the you know genuine love and affection between them as as they do so is is really great. Aside from watching the show and and doing the podcast, do you partake in any of the other Doctor Who media? Um, I uh, I, I have been a, a big fan of Big Finish at various points. Um, I have to say I'm not as current as I would like to be. Um, but back when I was first getting into the show, uh. You know, I got into the um, that that was when the uh, adventures with the Eighth Doctor and Lucy Miller were air, airing on BBC Radio Seven, as it was called at the time, uh, which meant that those were free to listen to uh, globally. So uh, that was another thing that uh, was a pretty early part of my exposure to Doctor Who. So um, McGann, as a quote-unquote current Doctor, was was there with me, and so I have always been partial to his adventures with. Uh, with Big Finish, and I've I've listened to a lot of Big Finish, but I've kind of fallen off in more recent years as I've had less time in my schedule for it. Um, I try to make time for, um, I, I try to make time especially for my my current favorite Doctor and Companion team that they do, which is actually um, Bernie Summerfield and the Unbound Doctor played by David Warner. Uh, that's oh, yeah. that's my favorite uh, thing Big Finish is currently doing. But uh, yeah, I um, I, I have been a big fan of Big Finish. I'm just not up on some of the bonkers new stuff that they've been doing with uh, <laughs> combining new series and classic series elements. I, I, I definitely want to hear, I know they did something with river and Benny and I have not heard it yet. And I am just so excited to hear that when I eventually yeah. get around to it. I just heard that last week. It's um, the legacy of time, which is a big yeah. 20th anniversary thing that they're doing for Dr. Who. And, and they add all kinds of elements old and new and it's six hours long and it's, it's <laughs> excellent. It's really good. It's really good. I'll have to take a look at that or listen I, I partially ask because you're talking about Douglas Adams, and you know so many of Douglas Adams' um, stories have been novelized recently, um, in mm. part by James Goss, and, and I, I was kind of curious to see if you had uh, read those and what you thought. So I read um, I read the uh, novelization of Shada, uh, which was by mm. Gareth Roberts, who um, right. is a controversial figure in Doctor Who these days, and. Correct. I don't know. I I love I love that novelization of it. I think it's the best version of the story of that story, and there have been many versions of that story. Mm-hmm. But it's it's my favorite. Having not yet seen the um, the animated uh, the official animated one, gotcha. Um, but uh, yeah, still I I I'm, I have some slightly sour feelings toward the writer of it at, at this point. So I don't know if I'll ever go back and enjoy it again. Um, but actually, you know the I think one of my favorite Doctor Who stories in any medium is. Stephen Moffat's novelization of The Day of the Doctor, which is, um, in some ways, I think of it as more of a sequel to Day of the Doctor than a novelization of it, because it um, it's not a straight retelling of the story. It's, a, it's more of an extended commentary on the story, presuming that you already know the events of the story, and it digs into it deep from various different angles and adds a whole lot of new material, and it's really just its own very strange, very wonderful um, celebration of Doctor Who, which I think more clearly than any other work lays out Stephen Moffat's theory of who the Doctor is and what they are all about and um, uh, really kind of shows you, uh, points out aspects of the Doctor's character that that have been sort of more on the on the back burner and more subtle and kind of, kind of brings those to the fore, which, yeah, so that is... Um, I, I, I almost would say I like it even more than the, the televised episode, which I adore. I ordered it yesterday. Uh, I was looking. I was looking at my uh, target novelizations. Uh, you know, there's so many things to do when moving into a new home, which is what I've done recently. Uh, that are far more important than organizing your target novelizations. But I don't. That, agree. <laughs> well, I'm glad because I don't either. Uh, 
it allows me to realize what I'm missing. So like the next couple of Doctor Who conventions I go to, hopefully someone will be selling them. I can fill in some of those gaps because I was thinking about doing a, a, a literary pilgrimage and just reading the entirety of Doctor Who via the Target novelizations. Uh, mm. But I've heard so many good things about that. Brent, have you read that one? No, not yet. Um, that was part of a, what was it, like four or five Target novelizations mm-hmm. that came out at the same time about a yeah. year and a half ago. And I got the one, was it Twice Upon a Time, one of those? Yeah, Paul yeah. Cornell wrote that one. Yeah, I, I bought that. I haven't read it yet, but I, I do have it. I actually read that on the on the plane back from Galley uh, this year in 2019. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, that that day of the Doctor though. If you um if you ever wonder like, um, the thing about there's a, there's a thing where the the river the tenth Doctor and River um only ever had one adventure, and yet so why doesn't River recognize in um Silence in the Library? Oh, this is a version of the Doctor that I've never met before. Well, the the kind of implicit answer is because she must have had other adventures with the tenth Doctor, and you see a little bit of that in um in the novelization of the day of the doctor, a story which on, on screen does not include river, but, um, right, right. but she, uh, she features in it as well as some other, uh, kind of really strange, uh, inclusions of, of odd things from throughout doctor who. So, yeah. Okay. Bye-bye. Rory's okay. Where is she? What happened? She and Dean were at Miss Patty's. What is that, a motel? Um, it's a dance studio. That was Patty. She said that she found them asleep and woke them up, and Rory's on her way home. And what state were they found in? She didn't say, okay? Let's just try and be calm until we know what happened. What do you mean, until we know what happened? We know what happened. No, we don't. They were out all night! I'm gonna make some coffee. Laura, like Gilmore, I've watched you do a lot of stupid things in your life, and I have held my tongue. <laughs> you what? But I will not stand by and let you allow that girl to ruin her life. Mom. Back off. She spent the night out with that boy, the one you let her run off to that dance with. Mom, so help me God, I will not get into this with you. She's doing the same thing you did. No, she's not. She's going to get pregnant. No, she's not. She's going to ruin everything just like you ruined everything. No, she's not. No, she's not. No, she's not. Rory is a good kid, Mom. She's not me. What kind of mother are you to allow this to happen to her? Oh, I don't know, Mom. What kind of mother were you? You're going to lose her. You're going to lose her just like I lost you. I am not going to lose her. Do you hear me? Even if I hadn't gotten pregnant, you still would have lost me. I had nothing in that house. I had no life. I had no heir. You strangled me. I do not strangle Rory. Oh, you're so perfect, and I was so horrible. I put you in good schools. I gave you the best of everything. I made sure you had the finest opportunities. And I am so tired of hearing about how you were suffocated and I was so controlling. Well, if I was so controlling, why couldn't I control you running around and getting pregnant and throwing your life away? Get out! What? You will not come into my house and tell me I threw my life away. Look around, Mom. This is a life. It has a little color in it, so it may look unfamiliar to you, but it's a life. And if I hadn't gotten pregnant, I wouldn't have Rory. You know that's not what I meant. Maybe I was some horrible, uncontrollable child like you say, but Rory isn't. She's smart and careful, and I trust her, and she's going to be fine. And if you can't accept that or believe it, then I don't want you in this house! Whenever we have a guest on the show, uh, of course we select our guests from Doctor Who fandom, but we know that Doctor Who is not the end-all and be-all of their fandom, so we invite our guests to talk about something that isn't Doctor Who. Uh, would you tell us what television show you have selected and why you have selected it? Yeah, I selected the television show Gilmore Girls um, because it's one of my favorite shows. It's not very much like Doctor Who at all. <laughs> um, but it's uh, it's just a show that I have a deep love for. It's very much a comfort viewing show for me, and it's a show that I love to talk about with people, especially because when um, when when I meet new people and I'm kind of getting to know them, sometimes they are a little bit surprised based on what they know about my personality that um, they, they may expect me to have strong opinions about Star Trek. But uh, I may, they may not expect me to have strong opinions about uh, Gilmore Girls. And the fact is, I have seen every episode of um, Gilmore Girls, and I have never seen an episode of any Star Trek show. So, um, <laughs> so I am able to um, talk about which boyfriend of Rory's is my favorite. Um, I don't have a favorite Enterprise captain. So, 
Well, when did you first start watching Gilmore Girls? Uh, and and why? What brought you to the show? Yeah, it um it was not a show that I would have thought that I would have enjoyed. I w- when I was in high school, I did not um I didn't watch a lot of TV because growing up I hadn't been uh, allowed to watch TV. My sisters and I were not allowed to watch TV on school nights. Um, and then in uh, w- when I was in junior year of high school, I had a major spinal surgery to correct a uh, an exaggerated curvature of my spine. And that put me out of school for, I don't know, I want to say it was a month and a half, two months. And so that meant that I was home all day um, with little to do except for, you know, read and play GameCube and watch TV. And uh, that was around the time that the cable channel uh, ABC Family, which I believe is now known as Freeform, but at the time ABC Family, um, it first acquired the syndication rights or, or some kind of rerun rights for the first three seasons of Gilmore Girls and the first three seasons of Smallville. And so I just completely binged on those two series, and I was super into both of them. I think Smallville does not hold up as well as Gilmore Girls does, so Gilmore Girls is the show that has retained the hold on my heart that it had when I was lying on a couch on um, OxyContin for (laughs) quite a long time uh, watching it. And they would air, um, ABC Family would air two episodes a day in the morning, and then in the evening, they would re-air those same two episodes. So um, it was kind of a, you know, this was before before streaming services existed. So it was sort a sort of binge watch experience, but it was also like, okay, you, you can watch this episode twice in the same day. If you really enjoyed it and want to go back and watch it again, then it'll rerun for you. So, so it'll be there for you. So I, I kind of um, got really, really comfy and cozy and... Um, you know, drugged up in in uh, in <laughs> Stars Hollow for uh, for a few months there. What do you think sets this show apart from other TV shows of the time? Um, well, I think that the dialogue is the thing that it's kind of famous for. Um, that the characters talk very fast. They have really uh, pop cultural like pop culturally literate dialogue that I believe the actors have confessed to only like 30% of the time, even knowing what they were talking about when they were making those references. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I have to confess that I don't always get them either, but, uh, it's, it's just a very, um, satisfying and interesting way to hear people speak on TV. It's like, I don't know. It's kind of like an Aaron Sorkin turned up even higher. Um, but another thing about it that I find really interesting, and I don't think, I don't think I understood this when I was first watching it. I only kind of came to understand it later was that the way the stories are structured in um, in each individual episode of Gilmore Girls is very um, it's it's very gentle and uh, freeform in I mean, no pun intended with the name of that being the name of the cable channel now that I watched it on when it was called ABC Family. But yeah, anyhow. Uh, yeah, the, the the stories are kind of, they're not as tightly structured as most uh, American television dramas. When in America, when you write a television drama, you're writing it to fill a slot that has commercial breaks every X number of minutes. And so depending on how long the slot you're filling is, whether it's a half hour, an hour long show, you have, I don't know, a three or four or five, six act structure. And the way you write those scripts when you're writing for a show like that is you want to end each act of the show on a sort of miniature cliffhanger or an escalation or a moment of drama. And Gilmore Girls just kind of refuses to do that. It just, which is a little bit less apparent when you're watching it on a streaming service, but you still get that fade to black that you understand is where a commercial break would have gone. And it's, uh, you know, scenes just end and then it goes to commercial at, at an ending for a scene, which, you know, it's still a very heightened reality. It's, I wouldn't, I wouldn't describe it as a naturalistic presentation of, of like, characters lives or anything because it's very not naturalistic like i said the dialogue is so snappy as to be kind of ridiculous but it it at least feels a little bit more um it it feels a little bit less like you're you're following a predictable dramatic structure and it feels more like the chips are going to fall as they fall Mm -hmm. well we asked you to choose a few episodes for us to sample and you chose three 
which were the Lorelai's first day at Chilton, Rory's dance, and they shoot Gilmore's, don't they? So let's start with um, the Lorelai's first day at Chilton. Tell us why you chose this particular one. Um, so I chose this one because it's, um, I don't know, it, it was it was tempting to choose the first episode, but I think the second episode, which this is, this is the, the season one, episode two, um, is more representative of what the series was like in its first season. It, um, it gives you a, some really great character moments with, um, with Rory as she's acclimating to this new environment. She has previously been the smartest kid in a public school, um, full of disinterested teenagers who are just not there to learn. They're there because they have to be there. And now all of a sudden she is thrown into a, um, a private school where she is expecting to meet a lot more Rory's, a lot more really studious, diligent, serious-minded, um, erudite, teenagers and what she finds is that it's kind of um more of like a twisted dark mirror of herself that she finds in paris who is a lot of the things that rory is um but she becomes rory's uh, rival because she's far more uptight and competitive and sees rory as a threat and um is you know just just desperate to prove her dominance the second she gets wind of the fact that there's a new person at the school and she also finds that there's a lot of people who are just as um kind, just as kind of uh you know disinterested in in the schoolwork but are more kind of uh vicious and uh slightly hostile toward her um and she she she's she gets uh she attracts the attention of um a character named Tristan who uh, in this episode repeatedly calls her Mary kind of uh poking fun of her um perceived like good girlness which is um it's in contrast to what we actually see in the previous episode which is not one of the ones I selected at her previous school where she attracts the attention of Dean who ends up being her boyfriend for the first few seasons who is you know he's he's a little bit like i i've been watching you i i i and i like what i see it's a little bit creepy how he is but he's also more um genuinely interested in her as a person uh and more interested in getting to know her and he's just all around a sweet nice boy or at least so he seems he's not always a sweet nice boy but but yeah it's um and then meanwhile it, it shows um some of the difficulties that Lorelai is having around, um, you know, acclimating to this new relationship that she has with um, her daughter's schooling, with her mother, and um, with, you know, the sort of just she, she happens to uh, arrive at Rory's school for the first day wearing a completely inappropriate outfit. <laughs> and it's, you know, it's it's just a very funny episode that that brings out a whole lot of like what's great about this show and the world that they're laying out for the first couple seasons and these characters. So that's why I picked that one. Brent, uh, one of the things I didn't ask you ahead of time was um, prior to watching episodes for this podcast, had you ever watched Gilmore Girls? No, I remember when it was on. But I'd never seen a second of it until a couple of weeks ago. And it's not a bad show. It's it's not something I would probably watch on my own before. But it was entertaining. And I, I liked how the mother and daughter roles were basically reversed in this show. Because mm. the mom the mom is quite immature <laughs> and a bit shallow. Uh, and the daughter, Rory, is, is uh, she acts a lot older than she is. And um, also, I was really shocked to see uh, Melissa McCarthy on there. As oh the, yeah, uh, Suki Suki, the clumsy cook, and she <laughs> apparently she was on there the entire run of the show. I was like, wow. So I had no idea she was on there, and uh, a young uh, Milo Ventimiglia was on there too. Mm. Noticed him, and one of the ones that we watched. But um, it, I also liked that it had a, a constant inclusion of a lot of the popular music at the time. Mm. I'll tell you the one that we're about to talk about, uh, Rory's dance. When we get to that. That was my favorite of the ones that we saw. Um, so tell us why you chose that one. Uh, Roy's dance uh, kind of things. A lot of the stuff that um, has been set up in the first few episodes of the season that sort of gently builds kind of comes to a head in that episode. And um, it, it, it really kind of allows the sort of simmering tension between um, between 
uh, Lorelai and her mother Emily to kind of it gives it an opportunity for uh, for that to kind of you know play play out in in ways that kind of develop it and also complicate it and yeah it's uh, and also um, it kind of is a major sort of inflection point in her relationship with Dean so it really kind of shows you you know how that has developed and how you know the their relationships are getting more complicated as as the season goes on i had never i i hadn't watched any gilmore girls but it was definitely a favorite of my wife's and so it was on quite a bit um i would walk past and and hear them talking and and try to figure out what they were saying i always always like a good cultural reference um it's impressive. I think I went ahead and watched the pilot, the first episode, just to to get a feeling uh, for the show prior to uh, the first day at Chilton's. Uh, but I was really excited about the um, Rory's dance, which I also liked the best out of the the four that I watched. Uh, to hear them mention Tom Waits, uh, <laughs> though I can't imagine that uh, anyone would play Tom Waits at a a dance, private or otherwise, at, at a school. <laughs> Um, yeah, I dug, I dug this episode a lot. And I think one of the reasons I, I really enjoyed it was the kind of parallel narrative that they were telling between the relationship between, uh, Lorelai and her mother. Um, and that, that relationship, which I, I think I would have normally found fairly cloying, uh, because the, the mom, I'm always right. No, you're never right. Um, mother daughter relationship. And this show is very much about mother-daughter relationships, and my wife tells me in, in a way that isn't normally portrayed on television or wasn't normally portrayed on, on television at the time. Uh, again, not the kind of shows that I normally watch, but I, I really enjoyed I enjoyed this one quite a bit. Good storytelling in this one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of the interesting things about, about the show is that, you know, I first came to it when I was, I don't know, 16 or 17, and so... Um, I really, you know, my major identification point for the show was Rory and the things that were going on in her life and the the friends and boyfriends that she had. That was kind of what felt more rooted in my reality. Um, and now I'm watching it and I'm in my 30s. And so I identify much more closely with Lorelai as an adult. And I don't know, as a, as a kid, I am, I definitely had a bit of a crush on Rory. Uh, and uh, I... You know, I also did and still do have a bit of a crush on Lorelai, so uh, there's that. But uh, it, it, it was um, – it, it's interesting to kind of see a show like this that is – it's multi-generational and it deals with the relationships, you know, up and down that family tree to kind of come back to it um, as I, I – I recently rewatched all of this back when Netflix um, acquired the show and then did their own um, continuation of the show – um, I recently rewatched the whole series, and it's just it's one of those shows that not only has it stuck with me throughout my life, it's also been really interesting to revisit as a, an older version of myself and see, well, I, I'm getting different things out of out of the drama here. Hmm. I kind of don't like Rory as much as I used to. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's you know, it's I I love going back and watching something that you you loved from your childhood. And I guess we can include teenage years as your childhood and see how it changes in your opinion based off of who you are and how you've grown as a person. Um, some of the shows and the values that they, they had, th- those priorities of values have changed quite a bit for me. So going back, I don't, I don't always enjoy um, the things I thought I loved. You know, so like, oh, can't believe that show's finally out on DVD. I'm going to buy that complete run of it and watch it. And I'm like, three episodes in, I'm like, this is garbage. <laughs> guys, guys, Masters of the Universe is kind of garbage. <laughs> um, and I can still enjoy it on a nostalgic level. But, I, you know, uh, um, so it's it's good to hear that you are getting something different out of it, even if you're not enjoying it in the same way. It seems like you're still enjoying it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, you know, I can, I can, having the ability to do that comparison enhances it for me. Do you find that um, your opinion of the characters, and we should probably talk a little bit more about the characters, uh, changes from when you were watching it as a new show versus watching it knowing where they're going to 
fall in their story arc. Like, you know, having no, when you know where the story ends, just going back and watching it uh, color the way you see it. You know, it it definitely does because I um my favorite character on the show I think is probably um Emily Lorelai's mother, who is not portrayed very sympathetically throughout most of the first season. Um, what we kind of grow to sort of realize, and this is this probably should be obvious from the beginning, but it becomes kind of more and more obvious that the show goes on, goes on is that as much as she's in the wrong in a lot of the ways she chooses to interact with her daughter, Lorelai is actually a very difficult person to deal with sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> um, and in some ways, you know, she like she's dealing with um, a lot of a lot of pain and difficulty from the fact that Lorelai has made the decision to shut um, shut her parents out of her life. Which, you know, in many ways, I think that that's the right decision for Lorelai to have made for her. And, you know, her parents certainly weren't the best parents they could possibly be to her. But nevertheless, um, the fact that, you know, I, I think in, we, we see the parents as kind of antagonists in season one, that they're imposing this thing on this, you know, we're supposed to love this quirky mother and daughter. And the fact that they've, you know, got to go through this ordeal of every Friday night, they have to deal with these impossible, you know, snooty rich uh, grandparents in order to um, in order to send Rory to Chilton. Um, but I, I now sympathize a lot more with with Emily because of having seen the full arc of her character, even through um, I think she is the. Uh, She's the character whose arc I like most in the uh, in the Netflix specials, which uh, which followed several years after the show wrapped up. Um, and very recently, Netflix did four specials that picked up on the characters later in their lives. And unfortunately, Edward Herman, who plays um, who plays Rory's grandfather, had passed away. So that series very much deals with uh, her attempting to reacclimate to a new sort of life when she has very much been you know the the woman of the house and you know been you know the her she she's been her husband's wife for a long time and having to sort of discover a new version of herself through that is is very interesting so having a more um i have a lot more affection for that character than i think i had when i was first watching season 1 and so i'm a lot more sympathetic to her now there was a trend and it it seems to have been uh <sighs> Again, I didn't don't watch a lot of um, sitcom television, or uh, I haven't watched a lot of what I probably should have. But your characters that you're rooting for in these sitcoms, they have a tendency to be real jerks uh, mm. when you when you look at them in a in a different light. Like when you look at them from not from their individual stories, but from outside of the sort of the other supporting characters point of views and i can see what you said about lorelei where i think she she must have been uh a, a difficult person to to deal with especially in that kind of a household um and i know that she and her relationship with rory were setting a tone for like that mother and daughter as best friends which is a a trope that i don't remember seeing prior to the show so I, i've seen it a lot more since and i've heard a lot of people um give credit to this program for sort of making that popular but at the same time um having a child when you're 16 is not the focus of many shows and so to see how that has uh how that relationship has developed and how on the whole it has been successful like she has successfully done so and become her own individual person away from her parents is is uh, quite a different um narrative to be telling on tv Especially mm. on on like when did this air on on when it was coming out on as appointment television? Um, probably probably early, early in the evening, right? Yeah, yeah. I I don't I don't actually know because I've n- I never actually watched it um, on the WB. So gotcha. Uh, yeah. Well, let's move on to um, unless uh, you have anything you want to say about Rory's dance there, Brent. As you said, I mean, I agree. That was that was my favorite one of the ones we watched because I watched the pilot too. So I, I saw four episodes. Um, that was the one where Roy started dating Dean. But uh, the, the the big thing was the end with Lorelai and her mom having the huge fight, and because Roy accidentally falls asleep and stays out all night, and it was just my favorite because it was um, that argument at the end just felt so real. Mm-hmm. 
And I felt bad for Lorelai. And then I felt bad for Rory when Lorelai fires that anger back at her <laughs> for staying out all night after she just stood up for her. And I thought, man, this is good drama here. So. Yeah. And one of the things that's so interesting there is that, you know, from uh, Emily's perspective, when she's getting angry at Lorelai, a lot of that comes from a place of fear because of how difficult it was for her to deal with Lorelai. Uh, as a teen and that's misdirected because Rory just isn't the same kind of person as Lorelai but she doesn't she doesn't really know how misdirected it is um right. and so that's it's it's in some ways it's like a a kind of I don't know I, I hate to say comedy of errors because it's very dramatic so it's a drama of errors maybe well I also think um that it does pack I mean it packs a lot into 45 minutes it's one of those really one of the best examples I've seen in kind of modern television of of that flip you know you'll you'll get some comedy and then you get some real drama and there's a lot of um, interpersonal relationships and between many different characters um and you know it really could have focused uh, a lesser show would have focused on the fact that Lorelai has taken some medication that she's never tried before uh and you know they could have gone into a much more slapstick way but mm. it's genuinely sweet how she lets her guard down around her mother even to the point of calling her mommy um and just the there's so many parallel stories being told you know oh i don't i thought for sure it was going to end with her trying avocado for the first time and loving it um uh, because <laughs> you know what she seems like the kind of woman who would eat an avocado and really like it, possibly on toast. Um, yeah. But the smushed banana on toast is just like, you know, why, why aren't you giving it a chance? You liked it as a kid. Oh, you didn't like it as a kid and it's horrible. You know, like there's it, – it, my expectations were flipped and that doesn't happen often. I usually can predict where a television show is going to go. So when it surprises me, I like it and uh, really get the last five minutes of that episode being as intense as it was uh, – caught me off guard and I, and I appreciate it as a, as a storyteller. Mm-hmm. And then they shoot Gilmore's. <laughs> they do. Don't they? They do. <laughs> don't they? I mean, they're probably. So I think, um, I think this is actually my favorite of the three I picked. Really? Um, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm okay. Let's hear it. Well, okay. So I, I had, I was trying to pick a, a representative sample and I really needed one that focused on um, quirky towny stuff. Mm. Um, because that's a major part of the show is the notion of like quirky town stuff that happens. Like there's a, you know, a revolutionary war reenactment thing that happens in one episode. There's a thing that has to do with, um, like auctioning off dates, uh, for like a charity event. These are things that like become a hallmark of the show. And so I think, I think one of the best examples of that is this, uh, this 24 hour dance, uh, marathon, uh, it's just like a quirky Stars Hollow thing where you get Taylor, you get Miss Patty, you get Kirk, you get the quirky townies being quirky, you get Lane and Miss Kim, you get a little bit of, um, you know, uh, th- this this one actually has a subplot for Lane, who is um, un, who 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 is who is dealing with her, the fact that she has a budding relationship with a boy she knows her mother wouldn't approve of. Um, it's completely like. Lane is, I think she's one of the most underserved characters throughout the show's run. They don't do as much with her as they probably could. Um, so I, I always like to see any episode that, that gives her something to do. Um, and uh, also, it's an episode that includes Jess, who is uh, Milo Ventimiglia, who is um, one of the one of the kind of breakout characters of the show i guess he's a he's a he he's actually only a regular on the show for a couple seasons but he sort of looms large in people's imagination of the show because he is one of really three major romantic figures uh that Rory is associated with throughout the run of the show and i think in many ways he's the most popular of the three so i had to pick one that had him in it um and i don't know this is uh i i think you maybe don't get a, a great picture of um, of where Dean is coming from when he he decides to dump Rory at the end of the episode. But nevertheless, I uh, I think that that plot is kind of interesting, and you can see um, you can see the sort of building frustration throughout the episode as Rory and Jess's obsession with one another uh, kind of builds to the point where Dean just can't take it anymore. And, uh, yeah, mostly I just love, uh, I love Taylor being Taylor and I love Kirk being Kirk. So those are <laughs> my things about this episode that I love. Yeah. I, I enjoyed both of them. Um, uh, I watched 
this is one of those wherever I get one of these um, the new show is announced that we're going to be doing for the interview I'll, I'll tell my wife you know would you be interested in watching this with me and, and, and most of the time the answer is of course no um, <laughs> but she was really excited to, to watch Gilmore Girls with me and so you know, we just moved into our new house and we got our TV set up and we finally got the, the Wi-Fi set up and this is the first thing that we watched is uh, four episodes of Gilmore Girls and uh, you know we watch the pilot we watch the second episode we skipped you know four or five episodes to watch the the rory's dance but then we skipped two whole seasons yeah and as we're watching it i had to just pause it and going okay wait 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 wait. what is going on here who are these people <laughs> who is why is this important uh why how did this happen you know so uh but it was really yeah em- fun emily's to- nice now <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know, uh, and uh paris or um well, Paris is nice as well, too. Which Paris is, was nice, too. Yeah. 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 And it, it's certainly like all these, there's like these cares. I'm like, what have I missed? So, of course, <laughs> whenever that happens, I go straight to Wikipedia uh, and, <laughs> and read um, season synopses so I can get caught up on, on. And there's a lot of stuff that happens on Gilmore Girls. Um, yeah, I, th- I think um, I think one of the things I've read is that the average script for an episode of Gilmore Girls is something like at least one and a half to two times as long as the average script for any other show because they just talk so fast. Mm-hmm. So needless to say, lots of stuff happens. I, I watch it with a, um, it's one of those shows I've started recently really appreciating the closed captioning um, and watching it with the, the, the titles on so I could understand what they're saying because they are making those references and I do get, I do get a lot of them as they're being made but i have to uh, hear them first so yeah i this one threw me um uh, one because you know like i only know um velo is that his name um i i just know him from heroes so uh oh uh, peter petrelli we, yeah peter petrelli <laughs> we, we just call him um uh side of the face talking guy um aside, uh, he's also yeah. rocky balboa's son right yeah Oh, is and he? he's on. He's Jack on This Is Us, also. Okay, all right. I don't yeah. watch. I don't watch a lot of television, so I'll tell you also that um, that Dean is um, Dean is in Supernatural, where right. he is not the character named Dean. So that that oh, always confuses the, uh, okay. me. Okay, I, I thought that he might have been. I haven't watched an episode of Supernatural. I'm, I thought he looked familiar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Pilecki, Jared Pilecki, uh, something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, it, I did. I was thinking today how interesting and what would you have to do to do a um, uh, Gilmore Girls Supernatural crossover, <laughs> you know, like where he comes back years later. Uh, but I also don't know the plot to Supernatural, but I, I just thought it would be kind of fun. I knew they did a crossover with Scooby-Doo, that's why. <laughs> I, I did not know that. I've never seen a single episode of, of that, which uh, I, I believe is entering its last season this year after like 15 seasons or something crazy like that. Yeah, I, I, you know, when when we get a show, um, it is not uncommon for Brent to watch it in its entirety. Um, so eventually, <laughs> Brent, someone is going to give you give us Supernatural, and and uh, it's, it's going to be like Quest for the deep. Quest. You got fifteen seasons right. to do in a month. Go. Um, uh, who is your favorite character on this program? Um, I'd say probably Emily. Um, yeah. yeah. Or uh, or Richard, I like them both. Uh, mm-hmm. The the two grandparents. Um, I think uh, both of them get developed a lot far beyond what we're able to see in the sample episodes I've chosen. Sure. What one of the nice early plots um, in um, in in Gilmore Girls is the the sort of sweet uh, relationship between Rory and her grandfather. You see a little bit of that in some of the episodes. I think it was, I forget whether it was in the first episode, which I also rewatched for this, uh, or, or the second, but um, there's a scene where, you know, they, they go over for a Friday night dinner and, um, and, and Lorelai and Emily are just going at it. They're having some kind of stupid argument. And Richard is sitting there reading the paper, not paying attention. Only he is because he just, you know, hands up, hands a paper to, uh, to Rory and is like, all right, let's let them do their thing and we'll do our thing. Um, and I, I just love the dynamic between the two of them. So I'd say the um, the grandparents collectively are probably my favorite characters. But I also have a real soft spot for uh, for Kirk, played by um, Sean Gunn, who actually that actor appears as a completely different but very similar character in one of the episodes I picked here, which I completely forgot. Um, he's in um, he's the DSL installing guy in um, 
in the Lorelai's first day at Chilton. Uh, Is and, he? Yeah, he, he's named Mick in that episode, but it's Sean Gunn, and he's a very similar character. Um, and then he also, he is the brother of director James Gunn and appears in Guardians of the Galaxy as, yeah, as one the... of uh, Yondu's henchmen. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, right. He's the one who kicks the gnome. Um, <laughs> yes. The, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Um, Brett, how about you? Uh, which, you know, again, we only watched four episodes, but based off of that sampling, uh, did you have a favorite character? Well, I liked all the characters. I, I think um, maybe I identified more with Rory. But I have to say, every time Melissa McCarthy was on screen, I was just glued. <laughs> she just so makes good. me laugh. She's so funny. She's so good. And she'll she'll do like little small subtle things that if you're not paying attention, you won't even notice. And and you, you if you're really staring at her and, and paying attention, she's just hilarious. So every time she was on screen, I was really focused on her. Yeah, I think same same for me as well. Um, I mean, I think Rory is the kind of character that I I would have glommed on to, especially if I had watched it when when younger, because sort of that that character, you know, like my relationship that I had that I had with my parents, where they pretty much trusted me uh, and they let me get away with a, a lot more as I was a you know smart, responsible kid. Um, but yeah, nope, Sookie's awesome. <laughs> I definitely. <laughs> There's a certain level of exuberance that she has, and and I, as watching it, I'm like, what would it have been like to have watched her on this show, and then see her kind of rise to stardom in recent years with with both television yeah. and movies? Um, because for me, it's like, oh my gosh, Melissa McCarthy, you know, when she was just doing television. But I mean, she the stuff that she's doing is you can see how it informed a lot of her comedy. Yeah, she's she is great and she has quite rightly gone on to do great things. She is she's such a she's such a presence on this show um that you know she's she's very rarely one of the characters who uh is part of the A plot, but um she's in most episodes and yes, is a scene stealer in almost every scene she's in. Yeah. You know, we mentioned the um the 2016 Netflix additional episodes that they did. Do you think that was um, a good follow-up? Do you think it tied up all the loose ends well enough? I think satisfying is the word I want to hear. <laughs> Were you satisfied with... with? <laughs> you know, I, I, I generally... I liked it a lot um, because I think one of the things that they self-consciously tried to do was like a lot of fan-pleasing cameos. Let's get every character we could possibly get in there. And because of the nature of what this show is um, and how much... Um, how much of it is, uh, how much of the appeal of the show comes from, you know, you like these quirky characters, you like seeing these charming little small town figures that, um, that having that happen was, you know, that was most of what I needed and it almost didn't matter what the plot was. There were some aspects of the plot that I, I thought were kind of, um, not, not exactly what I wanted. Um, and I thought that they did a, a very good job of handling, the uh, absence of uh, of Edward Herman, who who passed away a few years before they uh, they produced those, um, but overall, I think it's you know it's it's very good. I certainly wouldn't advise to anyone that they watch the original series and then don't watch those. I think that they're a, a pretty good um, follow up to to the series as a whole, um, and I, I really like where they leave many of the characters. Um, I I think that there has been talk about the possibility of them doing more at some point. Um, if they do, I'll be interested to see what that is. I don't feel like I have a burning need for more, but um, I'm I'm along for the ride if they choose to. Awesome. Well, um, before we let you go, are there any projects did you want to let folks know about? Um, the main thing is the moment. Um, I am currently. Uh, halfway through series two uh, or season two, as I'm calling them, of the moment, Doctor Who, the moment, um, I am planning, hopefully, on continuing to release episodes every week until the season ends, and at that point, it'll be, um, you know, probably another year before season three. I am in the middle of uh, a job transition, which is going to eat up a bunch of my time, so I don't expect to make more than thirteen episodes a year of that show, but. Um, I hope folks will listen to and enjoy what I do make. Um, I also love to plug the um, 
the video version of my um, talk that I gave at Gallifrey One this past year as part of the academic track, which is run by Joy Piedmont and Paul Booth. Um, the uh, presentation I made was on the topic of moral philosophy in Doctor Who with respect to the question of whether it's right or wrong to change history. Um, and I made that into a video essay, which I'm quite proud of, which you can find at YouTube by typing in uh, time can be rewritten meddling in morals into the search bar and hoping that I come up. Uh, yeah. And uh, that's that's pretty much it. Although I will say that um, that academic track, which is now being rebranded for the coming year as TARDIS Talks, um, that as well as other Gallifrey One um, programming, if people are interested in doing that, then they should totally sign up for that over at the Gallifrey One website if they're planning on going to that convention. And if you are planning on doing a TARDIS Talk and you would like... Um, advice or assistance with it, then uh, hit me up and I would be glad to talk to you about it because it was so much fun to do and so much fun to see other people's presentations. Tom, thanks for being on the show today. We really appreciate it. Of course. Thanks for having me. And thank you for joining us on Who and Company. Who and Company, come for the fandom. Stay for the company. Thanks for joining us at Who and Company. Special shout out to Pixel Who for providing our logo. They can be found at facebook.com slash pixelwho. Who and Company can be found on iHeartRadio.com and Spotify. Or you can download the show directly from whoandcompany.libsyn.com. Contact us on Twitter at whoandcompany. Support the show on patreon.com slash whoandcompany. Or email us at whoandcompany at yahoo.com. Thanks, and see you next month. Babe, guys are always going to be there. The school isn't. It's more important. It has to be more important. I'm going to sleep. Rory. You've always been the sensible one in this house. Huh? I need you to remember that feeling now. You will kick your own butt later if you blow this. Well, it's my butt. Good comeback. Thank you. You're welcome. Lorelai. Kirk. Good luck to you. And to you. He's going down. I hate to bring this up. Look, Kirk has very little in his life. Uh Uh-huh. He has no career, no girlfriend, no pet, no car. He lives with his mother. She wouldn't even let him have his own key. The only thing he does have in his whole lonely, pathetic existence is this marathon. If we win, if we take him down, if we take away that last little piece of dignity, then we leave him with nothing. I wonder if he'll cry.